Hi, I'm Eric Ostro, host of Live with the Lord Tell. For season four, we continue our focus on art and activism. Why do off-Broadway artists uplift certain causes, and how do those causes make them the artists they are today? And while we gather virtually, we'd like to recognize that we occupy land stolen from indigenous people. Join us in acknowledging this history and consider our role in reconciliation, decolonization, and allyship. Good evening, everybody. My name is Eric Ostro. I'm one of the co-hosts of Live with the Lord Tell. I'm so happy to have you here. I'd like to bring my co-host on for the evening, Joy D. Michelle. Joy. Hello, love. How are you? It is so good to see you, and you look ravishing. Thank you. Good to see you, too. Our last um, gathering of the year. Yes. I'm so excited about our guest this evening. Shuler Hensley is a multi-award-winning star of film television who is currently starring on Broadway in the hit musical The Music Men. Broadway credits include Oklahoma, for which he won the Tony Award, The Fairy Man, and many others. He starred in numerous films and TV shows, and tonight we look forward to talking with him about some of his off-Broadway credits, too, including The Whale, which he won the Lucille Lortel Award, and Sweet Charity, a Lortel nomination. He is currently the Associate Artistic Director at City Springs Theatre Company, where the Shula Awards were started, and he's on the founding advisory board for the new musical theatre program at the Manhattan School of Music. Please welcome the very talented Shula Hensley. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for having me. My name is Shuler Hensley. I'm the guest. We are super excited to have you here. <laughs> I'm Shuler, I have to get out of the way. I'm a very big fan. I've seen almost all of your work, especially in New York, and I just think you are an extraordinary artist. And I'm so glad that we have you to end our year before we go into the next. You're a perfect guest for the last one of it the year. It is such an honor to end the year. I'm telling you, it's been quite a year for all of us, I'm sure. Yes, but, uh, I know. Well, I'd like to start by talking about what you're doing currently with your triumph in The Music Man. And what was that like to come back? I mean, The Music Man was supposed to open so many years ago and they kept pushing it forward. What was that experience like? Well, it's like no other experience you've had. I recently found my original contract, which was dated, I think it was dated January 2019. (laughs) So, you know, and we were all like, yay! And then, then all of this craziness hit. But it's just one of those productions where you have, you have five or six Tony Award winners in the cast. You have 21 Broadway debuts in the cast. The children range from age 8 to 22. They're all world-class dancers. You've got a full, rich orchestra with Jonathan Tunick orchestrations. Jerry Zachs is helming us as our director. Warren Carlyle's choreography. So it's everything you would want in a musical to begin with, and then you add the fact that it's The Music Man, which is one of those quintessential American musicals that everyone's familiar with. So it sort of created a perfect welcome back to Broadway Mm. for not only us as the cast, but for people who were, oh, a little nervous about getting back into live theaters, 
But as soon as the overture starts and you're familiar with the music and the story, I think there's a, just a big sense of breathing out together as a community in the theater that's just magic. And it's been that way for a year now. So we've, we've been at it for almost exactly a year. And every night it's like a rock concert in terms yeah. of appreciation from the audience and getting to work with my buddy Hugh and Sutton. And I've done a number of shows with both of them, but this has been really special. That's my next question. I mean, you and Hugh go back. I mean, you've done so many films with him. You've done stage work with him. What is that relationship like? The friendship, the you guys probably speak a language that no one else does. I mean, we know each other. I actually went with Hugh to his first Wolverine audition. Um, and he did not get the role originally. It's one of those great stories, you know, like Tom Selleck was supposed to be the original Han, um, not Han Solo, but Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we can't, we can't imagine anyone else doing it, but we were in London together. Hugh and I first met in the basement rehearsal room at the National Theater in London to start Oklahoma. Oklahoma. He had just come from Australia doing, I believe he was in Beauty and the Beast, So he was sort of known as a musical theater kid in Australia, but, you know, that was just the start of everything. And I have to say, this sounds corny, but he's not changed at all through all of this. He's one of the kindest, most giving human beings, regardless of his talent as an actor. He's just a good human being. And I think that's what's made him so beloved by so many people in the theater and in the film world, that he's just one of those guys that you're like, oh, please let him be as nice as he looks and seems to be, and he is. And likewise, Sutton. I mean, you couldn't ask for two better leads in a show to set by example, especially when you're dealing with a large number of children in the show. And Broadway debuts. Yes. I mean, it's their first experience on a Broadway stage. And I got to say, this has probably ruined it for them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than this. But I mean, they're, they're loving it. But it's, it's extraordinary. So, yeah, I, I've known Hugh. I think we tried to count the number of years. I think it was 97 that we first met, the end of 97. Wow. So it's been a while. And I try to do any excuse I have to work with him, I'll do it, just because he's not only a good person, but we work well. I know, you know, I know his language as an actor, and we just have fun. And it it comes down, I think, my mom was a ballet director, and I was sort of raised in the theater. And as a kid, I always thought, I want to do this because it's fun. Mm. And as a, you know, as a baseline thing, I, I enjoy doing this and I think over the years we tend to maybe lose sight of that but once I'm back on stage with somebody like you it immediately comes back why we're why we got into this in the first place and it's just it's just fun and exciting and a chance to share with people it's wonderful and, and very generous of you to say In talking about leading a cast of people and being the head of that, you've been in that position many, many times. And with The Phantom, you were in that position. Mm. Can you talk about the importance of 
the responsibility of what that means and what that feels like and looks like to lead a cast and know that you kind of set the temperature of the room? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think what sets up the magic is to create a community of trust. The way you do that is you try to be as real offstage and so that there's not a real separation between offstage and onstage so that when you go on with somebody, you know that person, you trust that person. I think that's the responsibility is to create a safe, creative environment to say, you know what, you have the right and we're going to honor your creative spark and we're going to support and support. Support is huge. And I feel like that's a, I feel like it's a responsibility for those who are more seasoned to help create that, but, but also create an environment where there is no hierarchy, but it's like a, I'm beneath no one and superior to no one. That's what I always try to remember hearing, and I think it makes magic when people believe that. Speaking of Phantom in Germany, which mm. was going to be a question later on, how did that come about? And did you speak German before you took the role? I mean, how did... Yeah. I came out of opera. I studied at the Manhattan School of Music. So there were a number of operas that I had performed prior to that in German. So it, it was an interesting production because there were a lot of people from America that went to Hamburg if you weren't fluent in German, you were very familiar with the pronunciation and it was fairly easy to learn. So that was my background in it. And once once I was there, just being exposed to the German language 24-7, although I must say the Germans were great in that they were so, they were so intent on learning English. So it was kind of a fight which language are we going to speak? And I'm trying so hard to speak German. And they're like, no, no, let me try this. <laughs> that's how I got involved in it. And it was, it felt much more like an opera there because of the bet, yeah. size of the orchestra, the size of the theater, the elaborateness of the cast. It was a massive cast. So it was very familiar to me. Did you love playing in such an enormous theater and playing the... It is an opera, especially mm -hmm. now in German. Did they bring some more Americans over, or was it strictly a... I know you said they brought some, but your Christine and your all the other leading players, were they German actors? There were a couple of Christines. There was an American Christine and a German Christine. There was a German phantom and there were two american phantoms so it was a nice cross-section of cast even down to the dancers were all from like london not all of them but there was a huge cross-section and that's actually how my wife is british so we had just gotten married and that's while i was in germany it was very easy to get to london to audition mm -hmm. for things and that that was sort of my trajectory into the London aspect of Oklahoma, I had found out while I was performing in Germany that they were going to do a production of that at the National. So it was just sort of a fortuitous route. I mean, I work with a lot of kids in high school who are thinking about musical theater mm -hmm. or college, and I always say 
And it comes down to what my mom used to tell me is you really just need to be not only be kind to people, but network. Always take an interest in what other people are doing within the business because you just never know when that's going to come back. And I'm a perfect example of that. Being in Germany, but having friends I made in London there who told me about the audition in London for Oklahoma. So it's, it's a very interesting thing through networking and, you know, making friends in this business that it can only help you. Yeah, I think that people would be very interested in that story of, you know, someone telling you about, what was that, 97, when you... Yes, it was doing... Oh, you went, you auditioned for Oklahoma that they were doing at the National, right? Right. So my wife was British, and we got married, but we met in New York. We got married the next day. We went to the uh, Summer Olympic Games in Atlanta, because I'm from Atlanta, and uh, that was 96. So the next day after I watched Michael Johnson run the quarterfinals in track and field, we got on a plane to go to Hamburg for Phantom. And then once my Phantom contract was nearing an end, I went to England with my wife to visit her family, but also had heard about the Oklahoma. And her brother actually was a theater manager who said, oh, I know an agent in uh, London. And, you know, I had always heard, well, you need an agent to get into these auditions. So I met with him and I said, look, I'm perfect for this. Just, you know, represent me for this one audition. And they were fine with that. And then I met Susan Stroman and Trevor Nunn and the basement rehearsal room at at the national for the audition and you went in and blew them away i mean obviously you got the role you won the olivier award but Mm. working with stroman and working with that incredible team i mean what was the for our young people out there that go into auditions and want to know what is your advice about auditioning and what was that audition like well the audition was I learned more about how to be a really successful director from Trevor Nunn. And he used to tell me that, let's say, 80% of great directing is casting. Once you get the right people in the roles, you direct them towards something, but you don't tell them necessarily how to get there. That's what that whole experience was like. I never felt like, I think often we do as young artists, we think, What do they want? What do they want? I need to find out what they want. And it's not that. It's what can I give them? What do I have to offer them? And on the other side of the table, having directed and being an artistic director myself, I'm over there going, show me something. Show me something. I don't know what I want. I think that's a huge lesson to learn that both sides of the table are just wanting something they're not expecting or they just want you to bring what makes you you and the answer to to what they need yeah and trevor and both trevor and susan stroman are geniuses at making people feel comfortable in the audition comfortable to the point that you feel comfortable enough to create something unique and that's the secret that if you can create an environment and i remember Trevor would do the smokehouse scene with me. He actually 
brought me to the other side of the rehearsal room and turned me around away from the audition table. So it was just him and me. And it was mm -hmm. as, as intimate as we are right now talking just about the scene. Wow. Knowing that that's really where you find out who people are is when you give them a, a safe environment to sort of explore and just be those people. And feel comfortable, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice for those that are performing, those that are wanting to direct. Now, let's go back to when you were talking about networking. So yes. for those people who are going, okay, they're taking notes, they're going, okay, yeah. surprise them, bring myself into the room. No, mm -hmm. network. For those people who feel nervous or feel like, what do they call the imposter syndrome and all that stuff, what advice do you have for them when they step into the space and they need to be talking to folks? It's an interesting thing that I think you, you only learn by doing it and you learn by doing it and failing. Failing is a huge teacher, and especially in this business. And failing, I mean, by saying, I mean, by not getting the role. I mean, everyone thinks, oh, I didn't get it, I failed. And I'm using failing in quotes because it's not failing, it's learning. And that's part of networking too. But it's, if you could go into an audition and you say, I have one thing I wanna do in that audition, and I'm going to do it for me. And if I do that, it's good enough. Like for Judd, it, it may be for me to give them a sense of somebody who is deeply emotionally hurt or embarrassed. Embarrassment is a great, any, any kind of descriptive word. And then allow yourself to truly give an honest thing of that one moment it reads, then you as an actor don't have to go, oh, I have to manipulate this, oh, here comes that high note at this. You know, if you keep things simple, it sort of snowball affects itself. Because I think, for me anyway, I get in trouble when I overthink things. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge part of it. And regardless of how the audition goes, I think a huge learning thing is to be respectful, kind, and leave the audition with them maybe wanting more hmm. than you gave them. Meaning don't tell your whole life story, don't over talk, don't over try to impress. Just give them a taste of something and then leave. Because I, I feel like that's the power of a great audition is somebody who you just saw something and you're like, ah, oh, that was so interesting. Wait, where'd they go? Right. Then it's like, then it's like that scratch you can't find, but you're like, right. and you're like, because oh, they want to see more. I gotta see that guy again, right? You know, what's so, your audition? Um, at least when you were auditioning in in the '90s, and you wanted mm -hmm. to be an actor, did you take the sides, and did you always go in with an idea? I mean, the way you talk about it now, about wanting more. Sounds yeah. like something you've learned over the years. But in the beginning, how much work would you do on those audition sides? And I think, yeah, I think idea? I was very, it was a very common thing that you're focused on. What is it they're wanting? You know, I want to give them what they want. And I think that's the big learning lesson is if you approach your auditions that way, you're sort of outside your body and you're not really living the moments you're just saying 
is that right? Is this right? <laughs> and it creates a very two-dimensional character. There's no depth to it, I guess it would be the word. And the best auditions, and I learned this over the years, the best auditions I had are ones that I went in, I felt a click, like a, a moment of, of realness, and then once I left the audition, I honestly couldn't tell you what happened because it was just a moment that was not pre-thought, it was not manipulated in any way. And then the other hard lesson is you do the best you can, you do that, you give it a moment of realness, and then you let it go. Because there is something to, um, I mean, without getting overly, not it's not even spiritual. I think it's just that feeling that if you can let things go, that gives space for them to grow. But if you're, oh man, I really... Oh, I screwed that up. Oh, you know, if you're if you're running the rest of your day going, I, I wonder, am I going to get a call? Right. It's it's just it just sets up a really weird energy in your surroundings and in the audition room. If, does and that make sense? It's absolutely. And I think talking to directors and actors, you know, walking into an audition with desperation is a no no. Like. People can feel it, yeah. feel the desperation, and they overcompensate, and they overdo, and they are, you know, doing too much. Right. Yeah, unless the character's desperate. Right, exactly. But, but, right. but what I always say, too, is whatever you're feeling the day of, say I feel, I'm just trying to find an example, say I feel irritated from the subway ride to the audition. I mean, something really bad happened. <laughs> that could be every day, right? Yeah, it could be. Rather than trying to get through that, if I'm not through it when it's my time to audition, yeah. rather than try to get rid of that, you use it. Yeah. You already have something real, an energy that's really happened that you just allow to continue and then you work it into you. And that's where preparation comes from. I think a great thing, and Hugh and I do this before every show, we run our first scene uh, backstage, but we keep a uh, we do it in a spirit that has nothing to do with the show or nothing to do with the real scene. So it's really about whatever happens in the moment. It could be, you know, that I'm disinterested in you or that I'm bored or distracted or maybe Harold Hill. You know, I secretly love Mary and the librarian and Harold's in town and I'm freaking out because look how gorgeous he looks and look at me. And, you know, it's it's those moments that you run the lines. And then once you're it's a real moment, you just carry that energy back onto the stage. And I think it's those things are hugely, especially when you do eight shows a week. Yeah. And it goes back to what you said about being playful. Yes. Yeah. And trusting. If I yeah. trust the guy next to me that we can do that, we don't even speak. The first time right. I speak with you is when we're running the lines backstage. And it's great. It's, it's the best part. Of, I, somebody said, what will you miss most about the music man? I will miss everything backstage. Oh, and it's the connections you make with the, I play games with the kids. Mm -hmm. I play games with Hugh. Remy, who plays Charlie Cowell, I, all the people that I enter with, 
we have this series of games we play right before we come on that's I think is so then you don't then you don't even know you're on stage. I think that's that's what's the magic of theater, of live theater is is that connection you have in the moment with people. Yeah. I you said that. a second ago, you said um, not to get too spiritual. Yeah. Um, however, I my belief, my feeling about art is that it is a spiritual and it is an intimate experience. So it's kind of like you can't help but to. It's absolutely spiritual. And I only meant that in terms of trying to define, for me, it's a spiritual experience, mm-hmm. but it's that connection you have with something beyond yourself mm-hmm. and that's bigger than the moment that's happening you guys know this it's like when you're in the theater and those moments of that may only happen a few times in the run of a show but there are moments i call hollow moments where and they're usually within silence so something happens there's a moment of silence, but there's a hollowness that's in the entire theater where it's a moment of absolute connection with 1,500 people yeah. breathing the same breath. And you can feel and that. And you can feel it. You, feel, you can't define You just feel it. Mm-hmm. That's spiritual to me. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And those are the moments you live for and you strive for, but they're the moments that you cannot manipulate into being you just have to allow them to happen exactly joy and i say this that moment when you're sitting in the theater with 1500 people the lights go down Mm. and the orchestra starts for me that is a spiritual feeling it is is another presence within and sitting next to a stranger you know or somebody that i don't know Sometimes you make a connection there, yeah. and it it's just an unbelievable feeling of of sharing it with with a thousand or fifteen hundred people. It's uh, you know yeah. it's a higher power of some kind. I always say when those moments happen, when everybody's connected, the cast, the audience, the crew, like everything is happening, and that silence that you're talking about is there, and you just don't really remember exactly how it occurred. Mm-hmm. What really happened? My answer is God showed up. Yes, that's it. That's it. God, I don't know. I, we can't explain it. Let's not overthink it. Let's not talk about it. Let's just hope it happens again. Yeah, right. That's it. Yeah. That is it. So, um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about your growing up. Um, you studied ballet and dance yeah. for years, and your your mom was the founder and artistic director of the Georgia Ballet. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And you went to the University of Georgia on a baseball scholarship. Mm-hmm. When did the switch to arts happen? Well, in my house, sports and arts were happening at the same time my mom was a ballet director my dad was a all-american football player at georgia oh, wow. tech uh-huh. so i grew up playing baseball football and basketball and going from practice to partnering at the dance studio really because there were no boy dancers who right. would so they needed somebody strong enough to you know lift the to girls and and, mm-hmm. and my mom was really ahead of her time in in the fact that dance is a is a sport it's you have to she would do a a whole program that she would take to the high schools that would simulate ballet 
positions and ballet combinations with a specific sport, tennis or, you know, the kids would all, you know, come in and go, I don't want to watch dance. And then they'd be like, really like, oh my gosh, that's true. That's exactly what football is or base, you know, the baseball movement. And she did a lot of work. And that's really where I got my passion to give back was through my mom and her dedication to seeing that sort of, I call it click moments. And that goes to Tennessee Williams, you know, but that's the click of, of somebody drinking, you know, like Rick going, I got to have the click, but there's a click moment as an artist. When you see somebody come into a, a giant theater for the first time and they're on stage and they look out at that audience and they go, Click. It's like, oh, we got it. We got them. Yeah. They may not be actors uh, for their life, but they're going to love the arts for the rest mm-hmm. of their life. Because that's, the, and you see that in the teenagers that come in and are a part of something huge that they've never been able to be a part of in theater. So what was your big click? I would say it was... When I was about six, seven years old, my mom created this ballet called Cherokee to Galaxies. And it was about the Cherokee Indians that populated the local area of Georgia, where I'm from. And the opening of the uh, brand new theater, it was the, I think it was the bicentennial year, uh, 76, something like that. So there was all these celebrations going on and she put me in a scene where I was a frontier kid and I had to go, it's very simple, I had to go over to this imaginary pond and put my feet in the pond and downstage center, of course. So you're like, ooh, yeah. And And I remember the pool of light and I remember walking up to the the light as if I'm going to put my... And then I looked down and I said, oh, I had left my socks on from backstage. And it was just that moment of, well, what would I do? And so I took my socks off and did the whole thing and put them back on and went off. And that was a click. If that makes sense, that was a click moment. It was a combination of being real in the moment, being in front of someone and feeling everyone sort of, experiencing those simple moments together with giant pools of light and beautiful music and, you know, what the theater can bring. Wow. <laughs> and doing something like what would I do is to take yeah. my socks. Yeah. It's right. a simple, a simple thing like that, but can change your life. Yeah. Who would have thought As an advocate for arts education, what does that mean for you to make sure that, um, young people are being consistently being exposed to art. Yeah, I'm involved at the Georgia High School Musical Theater Awards, which is at Artsbridge in Atlanta. And it's basically, for lack of a better description, it's sort of like the Georgia equivalent to the Tony Awards or the Jimmys here. Yeah. These are the national awards. And they're called the Schuler Awards, not because I wanted, but because they wanted me to be a part of it. And they said, you know, would we mind, would you mind us calling him that? And I said, if I can lend my name to it, absolutely. That's nice. So I just can't express to people enough the importance of art 
in terms of just children's development, whether they end up being artists or not, in any profession, if you excel at it, you're an artist. This is, you know, you can't limit art to drama, singing, painting, you know, playing an instrument, whatever, but there's an art to it. And, but they're all the same. It's all the same thing in terms of connecting to something that is super powerful and feeling what that is as a kid, as a teenager and having, we started with 11 high schools the first year. This will be our 15th season. This year. We'll have about 75 high schools wow. from Georgia. And to see all these kids come together from all parts of the state and on a single stage and have those moments together, there's just nothing. like. And, and to this day, there's not a week that goes by that I don't come out of the Winter Garden stage door that I hear, hey, Schuler, I was, I was in uh, 2000, you know, 2009 Schuler Awards. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, and I said, what are you doing now? Oh, I'm a lawyer, but man, we saw music, man. And it's like, that's what it's all about. It's, a, it's, it's just a beautiful, powerful human connection. That's what art is. And it crosses time. It crosses everything. You know, I can look at a Degas painting and just be there like, wow. Wow. You know? So obviously when you're not, you know, working on Broadway, like doing the Music Man or or something else, you're currently the associate artistic director for City Springs Theater Company. Mm. What what are some of the details that you do? Do you help set up the Schuler Awards? I mean, no, many- no, no. City Springs is a separate, and I'm actually I started as the associate artistic director, and now I'm actually the artistic director. Okay, but I have to say that title is just a title because you know I agreed. Uh, our executive director, Natalie Delancey, is the one that really keeps that theater company running and I talk to her several times a week and we set up new seasons and my whole point was I want to take my experience as a working actor in New York and network local Georgia actors who maybe haven't been able to come up here Mm -hmm. and I've brought directors and creatives down from New York would they have an opportunity to work with those kids oh, and vice versa? And it's been like, that's really what has been something I've always wanted to be a part of because I know just by being exposed to different levels of creativity that you become a better artist, whether you ever leave Atlanta or not. And I feel like because of that, the level of productions that we have has just skyrocketed and it has a lot to do with just local talent being able to learn and, and be exposed to new ideas. I know we had the the website up just a second ago for information for people. So for people listening, that's mm. artsbridgega.org. That's the, uh, the Schuler Awards. And Artsbridge is another arts institution in Georgia that does amazing work arts education the artsbridge ga and city springs theater company also has an education wing arts education wing 
under it and provides performing opportunity for the kids, for teenagers and younger and all ages, really. Both groups do just an extraordinary amount of good work in introducing these kids to um, live theater. Mm. Live theater is, we talk about film and TV and there's a reason movie stars like Hugh Jackman and TV stars like Sutton Foster, and you could see there's a reason why these actors keep coming back to live theater. And that is what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes, is that those moments of real connection, you can't recreate those. Those are unique moments that only really happen with live actors and live audience together. That's the recipe. That's the, you can't have one without the other. That's what makes arts so, it's hard to describe, but it's otherworldly. It's spiritual. Yes. And that's why I will always be a voice for supporting live art of any kind, where you have an audience, a group of people experiencing a situation together in real time. And that's magic. And that's CitySpringTheater.com. Yes, correct. The other thing I want to talk about is some of your off-Broadway work, which I think, you know, you are an actor that just doesn't take just anything. If you're going to do something, you're going to do something that's worth your time and worth your talent. The production of Sweet Charity that you did with Sutton, Mm -hmm. it was such an interesting take on Sweet Charity. Mm -hmm. And had so many metaphors. And I mean, I learned so much from watching that production. And your portrayal of Oscar Mm. was one that I'd never seen before. He was funny and heartbreaking. And, you know, I've seen so many actors play that part before. Mm. But your connection with her, like you talk about, is, again, you guys had that common language. You had that connection that right. it was beautiful mm. yeah it's it does come back to i use the word trust just because if you know i'm in those moments with sutton and i trust her as an amazing artist and just as a friend and as somebody that you know we could just appear on stage and be in sync because we trust each other but you know it's interesting you said that about sweet charity about it was a lot of things that you'd never seen before in the in the production. Mm-hmm. And that's always been interesting to me in terms of really amazing written shows, musically and book and everything else. The reason they're so wonderful is there's a depth of opportunity in them where you don't have to change a single word. You don't have to change a single note. You don't have to change anything other than how something, the intention behind what's being said or the intangibles that aren't necessarily within the confines of the stage we see. That's exciting to me. And, you know, I did Waiting for Godot and No Man's Land with Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, and Billy Crudup, the four of us. And Ian would talk about... Who, who uh, I'm blanking, uh, Waiting for Godot. Who wrote Waiting for Godot? Is it Beckett? Beckett, yes, thank you. 
it's a perfect example of there's so many opportunities to present it in different ways. There's a lot not known within the story we see. And somebody would you used to ask, oh, I finally figured out what it's about. I finally figured out who Gatto is. And they'd go up to Beckett and they'd say, who is Gatto? And he would just say something like, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. We don't, there's no, there's no, it's up to you to create that's the That's correct, right. And so the answer was yes. That to yes. me is why a true revival of something isn't really a revival in terms of reviving the previous production. It's just a reinvention of the material that was given to that production. I just find that incredible because that allows new artists to put their stamp on something and use who they are within it. And the actors to put their stamp yes, on it, too. Yes, I mean, that's you it. know, Neil Simon wrote that script and nothing was changed. I mean, yeah. it, but so many of the intentions of what charity goes through, of what, yes. of what she needs in a man and what she learns, I'd never seen that in a production of Sweet Charity before. And it blew me away. Yeah. It was beautiful. It's funny. Uh, real quick, I, I know yeah. we're... Please go. Running out of time, but a personal example of that was my Broadway debut. I played Javert in Les Mis, and I was on stage when 9-11 happened, playing Javert, and that was the last time we shut down Broadway, and everyone was like, oh, we missed three days. You know, little did we know our nice pandemic would happen, but I can remember the show coming back. There was, I don't know couple of hundred people in the audience and I sing this song we've all been through this horrific event and I had my newborn baby in Central Park looking downtown seeing the smoke going what am I doing what is it about being an actor on Broadway that means anything in this kind of environment yeah. I mean seriously it doesn't mean it and then I'll never forget the song Stars came on, and there's that beautiful boom, 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 boom. And then I started singing the lyrics, and the lyrics were, There, out in the darkness, a fugitive running, fallen from grace. And it was like, it's like I just felt like there was such a connection to what we all had just been through just because of the power of lyrics and the power of music. And there was a real connection of it being timeless and being a yeah. different story, but nothing was changed. And I've told this story before, but when we finished that show, I would say most, if not all the people who were in the audience came to the stage door. Wow. And they just mm -hmm. said, thank you for giving us some place to go some place to escape and i was like you know what that's good enough for me that's it i can see how being a performer and the kind of performer you are brings you professional fulfillment mm. creative fulfillment what brings you personal fulfillment i really think it's it's um passing the love of and the importance of live theater and art to 
the next generations. That's, I mean, people always say, leave the place better than you, you know, found it, you know? And I think there's such talent and um, kids are so smart these days, but it's become more challenging with the advent of social media and the immediacy of something like online, you know, TikTok or whatever, that I think it's sort of cheated a lot of youngsters out of what they're missing when you take the time to go to a theater and be a part of something live together. And And put your phone down, right. Yeah, and I really think having talked to kids that come for the first time, and Hugh's great at this, he'll always ask, you know, we did the Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, and he would always start it by saying, who out there has never been to a, a Broadway show? And it's always, there's like tons of, because it's Hugh Jackman, you know, they came to see him. Yeah. But I would talk to them afterwards, and they were like, I had no idea. Mm. I had no idea wow. how amazing this is. And that, to me, is encouraging, and it's, and it's infuriating and it gives me a feeling of personal responsibility to get the word out to those people who just don't know better because it's a real source of inspiration and connection. Do you find that this upcoming generation of artists have a affinity or appreciation for this, the shoulders that they stand on, or is there like a different because we all talk about all oh, the millennials are this way when it comes to business or the blah 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 are you seeing in the arts that there is a disconnect or a connection what do you experience in the arts i feel like it's a combination of things what i do notice is the kids today through social media outlets have evolved into some of the most amazing natural talent artists that I've ever seen. Like taking a a child from the North Georgia mountains who'd never been to any live show, never seen anything on stage and come into Georgia and nail a Broadway song like I've never heard before because they learned it on TikTok. That's, that's, awesome to me that's awesome but then the other side of that is well i want to be famous if i if i can only get three three hundred thousand followers i've met you know so there's both sides of that um coin that uh, good and bad but i do find that kids in general are open to learning it's just can we teach them? I mean, teaching by just giving them the opportunity to experience it for themselves. Mm. My grandfather was a superintendent of schools, and he always used to say, the, and it's the, I think it's the hallmark of an amazing teacher and an amazing parent, is that the goal should be, as a parent or teacher, to make you, the parent or teacher, obsolete. I taught them well enough that I can just no longer be needed in that sense. Yes. Well, they can go off and do, yes. they can go I off don't, and do and it's like right. A voice teacher who teaches a technique 
it's not, oh, I, I, as an artist, I don't want to come back and go, oh, I got to go fix that next week. I got to feel like, you know what? You just gave me the gift, and now I go share it. And that's rare, but I think that's the magic, is if we can, if we can get to that. I think we underestimate each other too much. I would agree. On a lighter note, Shula, what do you like to do after? How do you unwind after a show? How do you? I walk or ride the subways. Well, first, I'll usually just sit in my dressing room and just sort of chill and listen to. I, I have this. Um, it's one of those little balls uh, that creates the music, and it's like chosen just for you. Yeah. No, and I always yeah. love that because I don't know what that's based on. Right. But, but it's always yeah, it's always good. From yeah. Opera to rap, you know, yeah. and I never know what's gonna come on. So it's kind of like fun to just press that button and it says, Okay, this is chosen just for you. And you know, it's like, what's gonna happen? But in the same sense it's I like going from the theater back into the world. Subway rides are really interesting, especially if you're the one person in the subway car not on your cell phone. Right. It's amazing to just sit there and, and uh, people watch. And this town, you know, I've been on and off in New York since 1987. Yeah. So this is the greatest city in the world for um, observing the world. <laughs> I completely agree. That's a great, great way to end it. I, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you pleasure. for, thank you for teaching today. It's been an incredible. You know, you know it's teaching. funny. It's I've learned as much as anybody about just having our conversations and yeah. you, you get so s sort of in your own world and in your own zone that you forget you forget things and you need to take a step back and sort of talk it out with people. So well, I I'm really glad. appreciate I'm you guys. I'm so coming. glad that we got to do that. Yeah. I really yes, am. Yes, thank you for sharing yourself with us today. Yeah, yeah, thank thank you. you for sharing yourself. I'm going to try to make it back to see music men one more time before it closes. So Great. I, I can't wait. Uh, we had Warren on two oh, weeks awesome. ago and he's a friend and I, yeah. he's like, yeah, you got to come back. You got to come back. You got to come back. Warren so, was an ensemble member of the, that original Oklahoma Yes, Jake. Oh, nice. Jake, and he his legs would go above oh, parallel. Unbelievable. unbelievable, unbelievable, and that is our show. I want to thank everyone for listening this year. Actually, mm -hmm. we've had so many incredible guests, and I'm thrilled that you've been watching and listening to these incredible artists. We're taking some time off for the holidays, but our next show is January 9th. Please visit us at liveatthelortel.org and we will announce our 2023 guests very soon. Happy holidays, everybody. See an off-Broadway show. Stay safe and we'll see you next year at the theater. Good night, everybody, and thank you. Thank you, Joy. Thank you, Shula. You are thank extraordinary you, artist. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Lucia Lortel Theater. Live at the Lortel is produced by George Forbes, executive producer yours truly, 
and associate producer Jeffrey Schubart. Press is provided by Sin Gogolov, Gogo Public Relations. And special thanks to Nancy Hurwitz, Alana Candy Samuel, Mata Levinas, Carla Liriano, and Helen Chan. Live at the Lortel Sound Engineer and Mixer is Brian Falk at Abacus Entertainment. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>